I want to um, speak to you about what John wrote in his letters. He wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John for a specific reason. 1st John in particular um, was, a, um, was written to the, the, the churches in Asia, which was known then, you know, the same churches that we read about in Revelation, the first three chapters. Um, those churches were where John was like the, uh, the elder statesman. Um, he was one of the last surviving um, apostles uh, at, at this time, and he was really entwined in those churches. They looked to him for guidance, and now he's sending them a letter to, to help them clarify some things because there were false teachings going on at the time from people called, we called uh, Gnostics. Um, and this, uh, this teaching claimed that things like the spirit is good, but the, the, the flesh or matter is evil. Um, you know, so therefore, the, your body is evil. Um, it should be treated harshly. Um, um, salvation was to escape this body and, um, and through a special knowledge uh, known as gnosis. That's where the, the term Gnostic came from. And, you know, so some said that Christ only seemed to have a body uh, or that, that, that divine, the, the, the divine Christ joined him at his baptism uh, and then left him when he was at his death. Some strange teachings going on there in the Gnostics. Uh, were bringing up, and they were denying that Christ was actually in the flesh and things like that. Um, well, the result of this teaching led people to believe that uh, breaking God's law was really of no moral consequence. And, you know, so sin was okay. <laughs> um, you know, and uh, John wrote to the believers and to us, people this day and age, we, we see this letter as something that applies to us, um, that... Um, uh, you know, that he wrote just to clarify the confusion that was going on and, and things that were con- contradicting. Um, you know, we're going to look into 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 24, and we'll read about real love. Um, and um, this is a favorite subject of John because it's repeated often in his letters. Um, and um, just I want to preface this, even though it was written to believers... Uh, because it keeps referring to people like, uh, you know, how you treat your brothers and how you treat another Christian. Yes, it is addressed to Christians, and it's and it's basically has a, you know, uh, you, when, you, when you look at it in the context of the writing, it is about how we should treat one another. But it also, uh, of course, the Bible is full of other um, ways that we should treat our neighbors and uh, you know, uh, love one another and love your neighbor as yourself. And, you know, John even wrote those words himself uh, in the Gospels. And so it, uh, you know, it doesn't, you can't separate it. The fact is we can include both how we treat mankind and how we treat one another in this passage. So when we read the passage, just keep that in mind. Um, And, um, uh, well, why are we speaking about love anyway? You know, why is love so important? And John wants to let us know that um, one of the main reasons that we are to love one another and show love to others is that, that men will know Jesus through our love. They'll come to know Jesus through our love. 
And, you know, you just mentioned, Nigel, a few ways of evangelizing. And, you know, that would be bring people to something, you know, a, uh, an event or whatever. And yet, um, John is saying to us, this, uh, the, the, the most effective way of evangelizing is to show people your love that Jesus Christ has given us to one another. And, when, uh, and so when we leave this place you know, of assembly, and when we're in, in other places, uh, in our grocery stores or at our, our barbershops, and, and uh, I don't know what you call them here, uh, but if <laughs> you want to explain that one? All right. All right. Um, and and um, they, um, people will see us, and they'll say, oh, okay, you know, that person's a Christian. I could tell that person's a Christian. And, and that is what he's meaning here. So real love is important because it is, it's an evangelistic tool as well. Um, but the first point I want to make about love is that real love is countercultural. Mm-hmm. Countercultural, real love. Uh, let me read the first few verses for you. <clears throat> Verse 11. This is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brother, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. All right, that's a big chunk. Um, This is the way I preach, is I go through a text and do a little exposition of the whole thing. So we're going to be staying right here in John, but I'm going to jump off once or twice. Um, Now, even though our culture claims that it is peaceful, um, you know, I, I grew up in the 60s and... That was the peace generation, and everybody uh, said love, 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 and the Beatles wrote their songs about it, and, uh, and you know, and all you need is love, and yeah, I, I bought into that whole philosophy, and that's um, the way uh, I always understood that the world should be peace, and, but it's a popular theme, but in reality, the world teaches that if someone hits you, you hit them back. And, you know, so, I mean, try taking that out into the, the highways uh, uh, and find out if it's true. Um, if you cut someone off, uh, you know, are you going to get a, a nice peaceful reaction? Or are you going to get a little hostility, right? Um, and, you know, therefore, you know, and, and it goes the other way, too. Do you lose your salvation when on the road and start riding around and getting aggressive and, and angry at people? Uh, this is uh, this is our nature. It's culture. This is our culture. It's so. You know, in um, it's even true today. In in the past, when we had war or conflicts, eventually one side would become more powerful. Then both sides would come to some kind of a truce, and then there would be peace in a conflict. Right. Um, now, we have a global war on terror. And it seems to have no end in sight. Um, this shows the real nature of our culture, is that you know, hatred and unforgiveness is stronger than love and forgiveness. Yes. 
you know, and, uh, you know, it's sad to say that this is happening, but we know that God has everything in control and it's not to worry about it. Um, you know, because even though this doesn't seem to be an end to the conflict, God knows and he will take care of the conflict. He will, he will see to it and it's all in his plan. But that just tells us what our culture is really about. Now, in verse 11, uh, it says that um, this is the message that we heard from the beginning. And John keeps repeating himself that love is important. Uh, love one another. In verse 12, John tells us that love is what it, and what it is and what it is not. And he, he used the reference of Cain and Abel. And we all know about these brothers, the first family, Adam and Eve and, and Cain and Abel. And, you know, now Cain killed Abel. And that, that was a murder. You know, it was a, it was a perfect example of the opposite of love. So he used that as a reference. Um, but you may be thinking, um, I've never murdered anyone, right? I'm off the hook. I don't, I don't have to worry. Uh, but he went on to say, look in 15, verse 15, he said, um, well, if anyone hates his brother... Uh, he's a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. So, uh, just so as you know that it's you know this is a good reference because hating one another is the same as Jesus you know used this in his sermon on the mount and other things. Uh, it's the same as is uh, murdering your brother. Um, and then, <clears throat> you know, he's taught about this subject. He said, if anyone is angry with his brother, he is subject to judgment. And Matthew 5.22, Jesus taught us to go and be reconciled to our brothers. And therefore, you know, that was uh, a command that he gave us. So, so, you know, hating one another uh, is the same as murder. And therefore, we're not off the hook. Um, Then we went on to verse 13. He said, um, do not be surprised, my brothers, if the world hates you. Uh, that is a direct reference to some of the things, and it's kind of a parenthetical note at this point. He's, he's, it's not really referring to one thing or another, but he said, by the way, don't be surprised if the world hates you. Um, and now he was talking about brothers' relationship to each other, but then they throw the world in there. Um, and, you know, I believe it's a statement that reminds us that we're not of this world. And, and that, that the world is, you know, we're countercultural to the world's thinking. And so when, you know, uh, when you're, don't be surprised that the world rejects your love and, and, and or doesn't understand the love that we have for one another. Um, don't be surprised that the world hates you. Um, and then verses 14 and 15, uh, when he says that, <clears throat> we know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers, um, and anyone who does not love remains in death, right? Um, verse 15 is always taken to mean that a true Christian cannot hate his uh, fellow Christian, since hatred is the same as murder. And mm, it is, but do you ever, you know, it's possible that we, are, we still have this, we, we can have hatred in our heart, and it's, it's a natural thing. We just, it's part of our culture. So we need to work on that and deal with that. But the fact is that the verse is kind of taken out of context if you do that. We should not consider this a statement, a proof of who is a believer or not. Uh, so if you find that uh, you have hatred in your heart, don't feel that you've lost uh, 
your love, you know, and God's grace in you and that you've lost your salvation or anything like that. Because you have, um, you know, the fact is we are going to have that in our lives. And once in a, and, and a, on an occasion, we are going to feel hatred. And, and then you say, wow, what is this coming from? And you know that, uh, but if you're abiding in Christ, and that's the, the term that they didn't use in the, in the New International Version, left it out, but the Revised Standard Version has it in there. It says that if you're abiding in Christ, then you will not fall into this. And so continue to abide. Now, when John referred to abiding in Christ, he referred to the vine and the branches and, and of those that are abiding in Christ. Um, are, that's where we should be. We should be uh, abiding. And, and that be so close to Christ that we, we don't slip up. And that's where really what he's telling the people. Stay close to Jesus. Um, now, besides being countercultural, love is also sacrificial. Um, verse 16, it says, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. All right. You know, this is, this is kind of an explanation, but wow, it's sacrificial. Lay down our lives. Um, how can we lay down our lives for our brothers? It may mean that we should be willing to die for the sake of the gospel. Um, and some have. In the past, we've had martyrs. Um, and, and even today we do. Um, but... Back, um, I looked at martyrs in, in, uh, in the, the dictionary, and, some, and I looked at um, one that was um, Polycarp, for instance. Back in 69 to 155 uh, A.D., he lived. He uh, was second century Christian bishop of Samaria. According to the martyrdom of Polycarp, he died a martyr, bound and burned at the stake, and then stabbed when the fire wouldn't burn him. Many others in that day died because they would not deny their faith in Jesus as the one true God. And so we need to appreciate what the early church fathers did for the sake of the gospel. There was a lot of martyrdom that we would call um, where people died for their faith. And it was directly related to their faith. And they wouldn't deny their faith. Um, But even today, there uh, are believers that are sacrificing themselves for the, the sake of the gospel. Um, recently, 10 humanitarian workers were martyred in Afghanistan. Uh, you all read that in the paper. And uh, that was you know, such a direct reference to martyrdom in the, in the nearest history that I can think of. Um, and then there was others. My daughter was telling me about in OM and other, other organizations that, that you know, people have died because of their faith. They've they wouldn't deny their faith. They, were, they died because they were a believer, that kind of thing. Um, so that's one thing he could be talking about here. Love is sacrificial, and you would actually give your life. Um, and, um, but can you think of other ways that you can sacrifice your life for the sake of the gospel? Not all of us are called to die and lay down our lives for Christ. Um, but um, there are, you know, some you know, that do that, missionaries. And, but uh, have you been willing to, you know, take your life and put it on the line? And, and then, you know, in some one ways or another. Um, and are you willing to sacrifice your love 
um, as, you know, yourself for the love of God. And that's what he's saying. Love is sacrificial. Um, and I'm not going to go into it because personally you have the, uh, the deal with those issues yourself. Um, but can, what can you sacrifice uh, to, for, you know, to show the love of God? Um, and, uh, you know, there are, there are simple ways, and I'm going to get into that in, 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 in one step farther, because my third point is love is practical. Um, you know, so um, in verses 17 through 19, the first part of that, 19, um, I'm going to read those for you. <clears throat> if anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. This then is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. Okay, I'm going to get back to verse 19. But um, the first you know, part of this, now I'm going to um, uh, give you a, some sermon points that I've heard from an African-American pastor in Chicago. When I was living in Chicago, I went to Bible school at the Moody Bible Institute in, in Chicago. And one of my assignments was to go and visit um, churches that are, you know, of various uh, ethnic backgrounds. And I chose an Afri- African-American church. That's a term you don't use here too much, I don't think, right? Um, and yet, it, on the south side of Chicago, and... Um, and so when I went there, I heard this sermon, and it really just stuck with me all my days. Um, that was in, back in 87, when I was in Bible college. And, and uh, I refer to these points that he made. And so I'm going I'm to go ahead and uh, give you a few of them. Um, it's from Luke chapter 10, verse 30. Uh, and, um, of course, that's a, the story of the Good Samaritan. And... Um, that, that story, you know, most of us know, we have memorized, and, but I'm going to read it for you just so we have the points. Um, 10 verse 30. I'm going to borrow some water here. I see there's a cup. Okay, uh, starting with um, verse 30. In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. When he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. When he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Jesus said. The man said, The expert in the law said, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. All right. Now, that's a a story that we know about. And I'm just going to pull out some points about these these people in this story. Now, the first 
point is about the thieves. Now, um, the, the man was going from Jerusalem to Jericho, which is a very dangerous road. Um, many thieves hang out on that road. And you could probably think in your mind, okay, where's the most dangerous place in, in, um, in say, uh, in, in the UK that I could find myself in trouble, right? Where could, where's the worst place to break down? Uh, and there he was. He was on the way from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he was in the worst place of, that he could ever be to break down, right? Put your mind there, right? Now, the thieves jumped him, beat him up, and left him for dead, right? And their philosophy of life was, well, <clears throat> what's mine is mine, and what's yours is mine. Okay, that's the philosophy that many, many people have that are thieves. And, you know, so here we are, um, you know, we, we, we see that in the world today. Many, many people are that way. There's not much you could do with them. I'm not going to address their needs and concerns right now. Um, but there were two people who passed by, and they, uh, the first group of people, I'm going to call them the beat-em-up people, okay? The beat-em-up, all right? This is um, uh, the direct quote from my African-American pastor friend. And so, you know, he's, he said, what's, you know, that's, that's beat-em-up people. But the people that passed over and saw him and passed by on the other side, those are the pass-em-up people. All right, uh, so we got the beat 'em up people, the pass 'em up people, and they saw a problem. They saw a neighbor in need, and they passed by on the other side. Their philosophy of life is: what's mine is mine, and what's yours is yours. Let's not confuse the issue. Let's not get involved. Let's not bother. You know, yours is yours, mine is mine. Let's keep it that way. And they went by on the other side for various reasons. I'm sure they had. Reasons, you know, everybody can justify their their what they what they do, um, but were they justified? Is the question in God's eyes? Uh, I don't think so because of the story they were they were painted as the the villains, and as, unfortunately, they're the priests and the Levites, and, and they're the ones that should have done something about this poor man on the side of the road, and yet they passed by on the other side. Uh, you know, that was. Um, you know, well, that's unfortunate because he's referring to people like us in this part of the story. He's saying, you know, the most of us are the priests and the Levites. And we often pass by trouble when we see it. And we don't stop and help in various ways, shapes, or forms. And so, you know, this is a story that we have to comes close to home. Are we the pass them up people? Well, think about your own life. And so... Um, the last character who came across the man was the Samaritan. Of course, uh, the Samaritan was looked down upon by the people of that day, and Jesus painted him as the hero because everybody would be surprised. Okay, why is the hero being, you know, the, the Samaritan? Nobody likes them. And yet, um, Jesus used that as a little shock value. And, and that, so we could say that today, you know, um, of this part of the story, we could think of people, the unlikely ones, that would go and help this person. Um, now, he took out, uh, you know, he did some practical things. So that's why this point is real love is practical. Um, the Samaritan said, what's mine is yours. That's all. Right? 
You know, he said, what's mine is yours. And he would be labeled a pick-em-up person, right? He's the pick-em-up. And so he, he actually stopped and he picked him up. First, though, it says that he had compassion on him. He pitied him, right? Other words in the, uh, were, were, you know, that he, he loved him. He showed, he's, you know, he, he, he wanted to help and he pitied him. Uh, it's one of the first things you have to feel before you even help someone. It's not out of obligation. He didn't stop to, to help this man because he felt obliged to, but he felt something. He felt compassion for him. Um, secondly, he bandaged up his wounds. And um, that's, that took some resources that he had. Um, he must have had his own med kit with a little bit of the little red cross on it, and, and he took out his own bandages, and he, and he had, you know, um, whatever. He used up his own supplies, and he, and he bandaged him up. He put oil on him and, and, and helped him. And then he put him in on his own donkey, and, he, and instead of, you know, t- riding himself, he put the man on there. And, and then, then he went and took him down to uh, the inn, and the inn, uh, you know, was a... A stopping place along the way, and yet, from from the looks of it, I don't think he was planning to stay there that night. Um, but instead, he did. He spent the night with him. He took him to an inn, and he stayed there with him to make sure he was all right. So he took time out of his way. Not only did he sacrifice his person, his um, uh, I mean his his uh, bandages, and he and his own transportation, but he took the time to stay with him. Uh, he paid for all the expenses. And he, so he took out his pocket and, and he took all the coins that he had and said, here, I'm going to leave this with you, and if there's anything else you need, when I come back, I'll pay you back. And, uh, you know, that is going the extra mile. <clears throat> um, you know, when we say love is practical, well... Can you think of ways that you can be practical in your love? And, you know, that's, that's really what it's all about. It's where the rubber meets the road, we say. Um, is that, uh, do you, you know, do you really put your love into practice? And, you know, so um, not only do we help each other as other believers, and, and, you know, referring back to my first point, is that, that people will see that we're believers and that we love God by helping one another. Um, and that's an evangelistic point. Um, but it's also, um, you know, something that God is telling us. Because when he said to them, go and do likewise, that's one of the commands of the Bible. Um, you know, he said, don't, don't, you know, this is Jesus' own words. He said, go and do likewise. So what can you think of? How can you help others like that in a similar way? Um, <clears throat> you know, um, it's our responsibility to love and to, to be that way for God. The fourth point I wanted to make, and how am I doing on time here? Have you kept track? I'm doing good? All right. Um, the fourth point I wanted to make about this is that love is transforming, okay? That love transforms us. And um, this, I, um, it's interesting. I was in, uh, at camp this summer, and um, we had um, uh, verses that we were memorizing. And Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, talks about transformation. That was theme at, at our camp. I take kids to youth camp and teen camp. And um, 
So uh, I'll read the two verses that I should have memorized better. (laughs) Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Then it goes on to say, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Um, I'm sure you could have done that better than, you know, by memory, Ruth. My wife is a great memorizer. I'm not, but that's all right. <laughs> um, well, you know, being that love should transform. Uh, you know, I, I picked that up from these verses uh, because... Um, in verse 19, the second half of 19, um, I'm going to pick that up and read to the, to the end again, um, of, chap- of 1 John chapter 3, 19. Um, he said, This then is, is how we know that we belong to the truth, and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. Whenever our hearts condemn us, for God is uh, when, presence, when, whenever our hearts condemn us. Okay, I'm sorry broke that sentence up. For God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask, because we obey his commands and do what pleases him. This is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. You know, the, uh, one more verse. Those who obey his commands live in him and he in them. And we know this is how uh, we know this. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. There's a lot in those verses. I could go on all day uh, dissecting them. But I wanted to talk about the part that. Um, that talks about how we should be transformed. Um, First off, I I referred to the point that we we should not live as the world lives, and um, that he refers to that in Romans uh, chapter 1. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. That means don't be pushed into the mold of this world, because we should be breaking the mold. As Christians, we should be out of the box, we should be not in that mold that, that the, the world wants us to be in, which is, uh, you know, mind your own business and turn the other way and be a pass them up kind of a person. Um, that's what the world would say in general. Uh, but uh, transforming love means that we should be involved. We should be involved in each other's lives and those of strangers around us as well. Um, so... We should also be willing to make sacrifices uh, for others. And that's, that's a transforming point in our lives. We're, we're, if we're willing to give up some of ourselves for others and sacrifice, that's an important part. Um, and then, but then he says, we are to be free of guilt and in right fellowship with the Father. Um, that's a transforming place. We don't need to be uh, in, in verse 21, it refers to that. Um, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God. 
right? If our hearts do not condemn us, uh, when, when you feel like you've not done what you should have done, your heart condemns you. And, and you know, you feel guilty. And it's a righteous guilt because God puts it there. And, you know, so if you are doing what God calls you to do, you are feeling that, that you're right with him. You have fellowship with the Father. And, you know, so that's important for us. We can have confidence before God. And, he says, and receive from him anything we ask because we obeyed his commands and did what pleased him. And so we are, um, our prayers will be answered because we've done what God has asked us to do. And, you know, that's a, that's a tough one. And, I, and, and I'm not going to say that uh, your prayers will never be answered in contrary to that. I'm just saying that you, you're in right relationship with God. He's listening and hearing your prayers, and he, he will answer them. Um, why? Because we obeyed his commands and did what pleased him. And what are his commands? It says it in verse 23. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love others, another, as he commanded us. As simple as that. And it goes down to the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And so, um, how do we know that he, that he lives in us? How do we know it? We know it from verse 24. That those who obey his commands live in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit that he has given us. Do you have God's Holy Spirit in you? If you have God's Holy Spirit in you, you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you will know the right thing to do. Um, he, we know it because he's living in us. John always makes it so simple. doesn't want to confuse the point um, that if we have God's Holy Spirit living in us, we know it by the spirit he gives us. We'll know the truth. And um, it's important because we, we, to have God's Spirit in us. Of course, if anyone here is not a believer in Jesus Christ, and they're visiting and just hearing this sermon, and maybe you don't know the whole story about what I'm talking about. Well, you need to know who Jesus is. And you have to have a personal relationship with him in order to know this. Jesus wants you in his, in, in, to be in his life, and to be in the family of God. And he wants you to accept him. And without that, you will never have God's Holy Spirit in you. Um, you will never understand all of the scriptures clearly because the Holy Spirit is not in you. He is the one that sheds light into our lives. And, and so he, I'm referring to the Holy Spirit of God. And so, you know, I... I implore you to, if, if you have not received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, do not have him in your life and are not sure if you've done that, please see me afterwards and myself or Nigel, we will share with you what it is to become a believer and how to know that for sure in your life. I want to conclude with a, uh, a quote, and I wasn't sure if I should quote this because it's, you know, he's a um, uh, uh, Saint, and I'm not sure if that's, that's an okay thing to do, but St. Francis of Assisi, um, is he okay here? All right, we like St. Francis. 
um, uh, <laughs> um, he, he, I just read a little bit about his life, and I thought, wow, this is an amazing man. And, and, and knew for, if there was any saints out there that were legitimate, I would say he would be. Um, is it, uh, when I was saved in 1971, that goes way back. A lot of you weren't even born then. Um, uh, I, I, um, there was a movie that came out called Brother Sun and Sister Moon, and it was about St. Francis of Assisi. Uh, and, uh, and he... Uh, and it, was, it really impressed me when I saw this, and I was a new believer, and I thought, wow, what kind of a Christian is this? And, and uh, he, he just really shows what it would be like to, to live these four points that we talked about today, about real love. And he said this, and you probably know this, this prayer. He said, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. O Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for us. Our Heavenly Father, we do want to love. We want to be the people that show love. We want to show others our love. Um, and, And yet, Lord, help us to be those kind of people that will, that will bring th- this reality to truth and to bear. Um, Father, we thank you that for the, the teachings of John and how he, he just always teaches us about love. And we have this in our Bible that we can refer to all the time. We ask you, Father, now to, to go with us as we uh, attempt to show the world that we really love one another and help us truly be the people that are transformed um, by love. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.